Thank you, praise team, Danelle. Merry Christmas. It's good to be back. I want to say thank you for your prayers. I'm still recovering, but the Lord has been gracious. Thank you to Tim for filling the pulpit for the past couple weeks and doing such a magnificent job as he always does. We're so grateful to have our entire staff and especially Tim as he's an incredibly gifted guy. Um, Thank you. It's good to be here. This was my goal to be able to preach today and I'm grateful to God for that opportunity. I have an announcement, uh, March for Missions update. So uh, the number is really good. Uh, Our goal is 200,000. Through last Sunday, you church have given almost or right at $175,000 towards that goal. So that's, that's an incredible, incredible amount. And you know that we receive offerings towards the March for Missions goal, which supports missions overseas, missions in North America, and missions here in Texas. We receive that offering through the month of January. So should the Lord, if you haven't had opportunity to give yet, you, you still have opportunity. And should the Lord put on your heart to give more, well, we believe that we will We will make that goal, and we believe that we will exceed that goal. So thank you for your generosity. Please turn your Bibles to 1 John in chapter 3, if you will. 1 John in chapter 3. I mentioned in one of my Caring Bridge updates that I was reading a book called Suffering by Paul Tripp. The book is well written, and it is a helpful book as he points out many dangers that in the midst of our suffering, make our suffering even worse. So Tripp focuses a great deal of attention on not allowing your circumstances to interpret what you believe about God. Not allowing your suffering uh, to change your theology. He gives examples of people who lose sight of God's love and God's goodness and how this has devastating effects on how we process our situation, on how we struggle, on how we hurt. When we forget who God is, we make our world even more difficult. At one point, Tripp states that when we begin to doubt God's good, his goodness, because of our circumstances, then we quit following him and we quit asking him for help. He writes, if you've come to the conclusion as the result of assessing your circumstances that God is not good, then you'll quit listening to what he says and going to him for help. None of us would ever think of seeking out the help of someone who we no longer trust. Doubt in the middle of suffering has the potential to radically change your life, but not for the good. Instead, he argues that it is essential to focus on the love and the goodness of God as revealed to us in Scripture. And while this is certainly true during suffering, friends, it is always true. Whatever circumstances we face, when we are confident of God's love, when we are confident of God's presence and his goodness, then we are more equipped to live a life of fruitfulness for the glory of God. In our battle against sin, 
in the way that we love others, in the struggles of life, what we think about matters. What we entertain in our minds makes a difference. And it matters that we meditate on the love and the goodness of God. So on this Christmas Eve, I want to focus our attention on 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, on God's great love. Will you stand as we read these verses together? First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray together. Lord, our great goal this morning is to humble ourselves and to hear from your spirit and to entertain the truth in our minds, in our hearts, to allow it to soak us that we would understand, that we would see your great love. And Lord, as we do, we pray that we would be changed. We know that what we will be has not yet, is not yet here. We are in the process of being changed. But Lord, we expectantly look to that day when you return. And when we are as you are fully. Thank you for this season. Thank you for Christmas Eve and for Christmas and for Jesus coming, our rescuer, our savior. Thank you for the love that we understand because of what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Verse one is an important verse. It is pregnant with meaning. It is rich with truth and it is bursting with emotion. In fact, every author you read on this, on this book, on this verse here, on this chapter says that astonishment is in the mind of John. That he wants us to be astonished at the great love of our God. And now considering the fact that the Apostle John referred to himself in the gospel that he wrote as the disciple whom Jesus loved, we can be sure that he believes it is important that we reflect on the love of God. So John implores us, he commands us, he's telling us, see the kind of love the Father has for us. Now that verb see here is calling us to marvel at God's love. John wants us to marvel at the great love of God. And the fact that he is commanding us to do so makes me think that meditating on God's great love for us is actually the key to making it through life. 
The key to making it through life is to meditate and understand and remind ourselves and rehearse over and over God's great love and grace and mercy and goodness that he has given to us. Now we might be thinking, what do you mean by meditate? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. We need to think about the various ways that God has loved us. We need to think about the various opportunities that we have experienced that show God's love for us. We need to think about the ways that God's love has changed us, has transformed us, has affected us, has made us new, has made us different. We ought to be like the psalmist, the psalmist in Psalm 103, who blesses the Lord because of the love of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? The love that he has for us, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. This is the love of God. This is what we are to meditate on and think about so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we would be children of God. His steadfast love endures forever. And he has shown us his grace and his kindness and his mercy and his goodness over and over in his benefits and his presence. And yes, in redemption, in forgiveness. Friends, God's love should be the foundation of our identity and our worth. I mean, people everywhere are struggling to find significance. People everywhere are looking to things to make them feel like they're worth something. How many people will find their worth or their identity in some present that they unwrap in the coming days? A new car, a new dress, a new toy, whatever it might be, people will look to find satisfaction in their things, 
but they won't last. We try to find it in our performance, but we can't always perform as we wished we could perform. We look for significance in relationships, but what happens when those relationships turn sour? We seek to find our identity in possessions, but they don't last. And some of us think that wealth is the answer, but it's fleeting and ultimately unsatisfying. We might base it on our health or our physical fitness, but friends, that certainly can change overnight. And we have no hope there. Only God's love is sure enough to find our identity and our significance in. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. So John points us to the love of the Father. When he implores us to see what kind of love the Father has for us, in the literal Greek translation, what he's saying is, of what country is this love? Where does this love come from? What is the origin of this love? Friends, God's love is ultimately beyond comprehension. It's not earthly, though his love came to earth in the person of Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John's wording in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has for us or has given to us, is intentional. Certainly John could have said, see what kind of love God has for us. He said it there in John 3, 16. But by calling God Father, he's focusing here on the personal relationship aspect of who God is. And now who we are because of God. God's love isn't some impersonal factor in our lives. It is deeply personal. He is a good father. Now friends, in reflecting on God's love for us, I think it's helpful to remember our past. To remember what it was like when we didn't know God's love. In Colossians In chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes that we were alienated from God and hostile in mind. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, we we are called enemies of God. We are under his wrath. In Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 18, we are illegitimate children. In John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, we are slaves, we are not sons and daughters. In Ephesians, in chapter 2, we are children of wrath. In John chapter 8, and verse 44, we are children of the devil. This is true of everyone apart from Christ. This is our condition before the grace of God. Scripture makes it clear that in our sin we are at enmity with God and that there is nothing in us that would cause God to love us. Nothing about ourselves that would make us deserving of God's love. And friends, that's why God's love is so different. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, right? It's different. Where does this love come from? We look for admirable qualities in other people and then we give our love, don't we? That's how it works on a human level. But God's love finds us in our brokenness, in our rebellion, in our sin. 
This is what Paul writes in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, it is healthy for us to think back to a time when we did not know God. When we did not know his grace. When we did not know his mercy. When we did not know his love. And it is healthy to magnify the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Casting Crowns, they have a song out right now called All Because of Mercy. I could stand here and try to tell you I found my way here on my own. Brought to life this heart of stone, made up my own mind to change my own life, working my own way to good as if anyone could. But the truth is, I've been broken since my very first breath. And the truth is, I've been wandering since my very first step. I know the only reason I can stand here unashamed is not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. There's no way I could earn it. Praise God, my debt is paid. It's not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. That song is true for everyone who is in Christ. There is not a person in this room who made their way to God. Friends, God made his way to you. And he did so in Jesus Christ. And he called you to life through the Holy Spirit. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. Do you remember Do you remember when you realized God's amazing grace and love for the first time? You turned from your sin and you ran to Jesus. He rescued you. He saved you. He gave your life meaning and significance. And through faith in Christ, friends, you've been called, you've been made a child of God. Adopted into God's family. This is what God's love has done. He's made us his children. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we have within us a voice to cry, Abba, Father. I know several families who have adopted children. Some in this room have been involved with adoption. And friends, I don't know any family who has adopted someone who did it because they were forced to. Because they had to do it. No, adoption is motivated by love. Adoption is motivated by grace. Adoption is motivated by mercy. And this is what God has done. And it's not just that we were adopted. We were born again into God's family. We've been given new hearts and we've been made new creations in Christ. Hear me. God's love stands behind our adoption and stands behind our new birth. 
And because we've been made new in Christ, we are now different from what we used to be. The world no longer understands us because we've been transformed by Jesus. Because the world did not know God, the world cannot understand us. New values, new passions, new desires, new motivations. We don't live for the things of the world anymore because that's not where we find meaning and joy and significance. We live for the things of God, for righteousness. Now, after commanding us to contemplate the love of the Father, which makes us his children, John instructs us to realize the blessing and the hope that we have as God's children. He writes, beloved, we are God's children now. So as children, we experience certain privileges, right? Some for now and some for later. But for now, listen, God tells us, his word tells us that he abundantly supplies all that we need. He offers us hope and peace in the face of difficulty. And most important, as God's children, we have been reconciled to God, freed from our sin. Because Jesus paid our debt in his life, death, and resurrection. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just the here and now, friends. God's love stands behind all blessings, past, present, and future. And one thing that we can count on is that we have victory over death. Why? Because Jesus has victory over death and we share in what Jesus has. We are co-heirs with Christ. We too will be raised in imperishable flesh. We too will be sinless as Jesus is sinless. We are heirs of God's blessing, his hope, his love, his life, his holiness, and God's love stands behind all of this. We will be as Christ, fully free from sin, devoted to God in all things. And because of this, John calls us to live as God's children now. Listen to verse three again. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As children of God, we don't live in passivity, but in full expectation of Jesus's appearing, his return. John calls us to purify ourselves as he is pure. So that brings up a question. I mean, can we purify ourselves? Well, we first agree that, no, we can't ultimately purify ourselves. All that comes through the work of God, the work of Christ, and all growth in godliness depends on the grace of God and the spirit of God. But here, John is pointing to our role in sanctification. Just as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, calling us to cleanse ourselves from all defilement in flesh and spirit, here, I believe, Pete, John is pointing us to our responsibility to pursue righteousness in our lives. In his book, Devoted to God, Sinclair Ferguson writes, look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. It's not let the spirit put sin to death, but it's you put sin to death. Yes, the spirit enables us. Without him, we are powerless, but he never turns us into automations. He never relieves us of the responsibility for living for God's glory. He wants us to be holy and holy people do holy things like putting sin to death. Church, purify yourselves as he himself is pure. So we battle sin. 
We avail ourselves of the means of grace to battle sin. And we remember the importance of God's word for Jesus says that purification and sanctification occurs through meditating and applying on the truth on God's word, John chapter 17. And this means reflecting on the gospel. This means reflecting on the love of God. This means reflecting on what Christmas means. On God taking on flesh. On Jesus becoming man. On Jesus taking our place on the cross where he died to pay for the sin of the world, where he bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners. It's reflecting on the fact that those who are trusting in Christ have been crucified with Christ and that we are dead to sin. That sin no longer reigns over us, that we can say yes to righteousness and no to sin. Friends, God's love motivates our Holy Spirit-empowered pursuit of holiness. So as we celebrate Christmas this season, let's be intentional about reflecting on and meditating on the love of God. And as we do so, let's be intentional about sharing the love of God with others and serving one another in the church showing the love of God, desiring that we would all understand and know the love of God, eager to help, eager to serve, and eager to give so that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. In just a moment, church, we're gonna have a time of celebration and worship as we close out the service. If you have questions about the love of God, if you have questions about the meaning of Christmas, if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus and to have eternal life, then we're here to receive you. We would love to have a conversation with you. If you have questions about what it means to become a member of our church, or if you're ready to be baptized because you are trusting in Jesus Christ, then we would love to celebrate with you. During this song, after I pray, would you come? and Would you follow God's spirit in obedience? Let's pray together. Great Father, Holy God, you tell us to contemplate, to think about, to meditate on your great love, and we confess that we can never fully comprehend and understand your great love. But today, today in this season, we say thank you because there is mercy and grace poured out for us in Christ who came as an infant but who rules as a king. Help us to follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, please stand and sing as God leads.